Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please be seated. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Thus begins our prophecy this morning, and there are a number of things that stand out to us right away. First, this is an urgent command. Comfort, yes, comfort my people. Twice God repeats comfort in order to impress upon Isaiah the importance of this command. It's necessary to comfort the people of God because they were troubled by what he had told them, that if they did not repent, their city would be destroyed. They would go into exile and the temple would be torn down. Isaiah is to comfort them with the knowledge that even when these things come to pass, God is not abandoning them. He is not forsaking them, but he will be with them and will even return them to their own land. But this command is not only for Isaiah, nor was it only for those that would end up living during the return from the exile after Isaiah's death. Rather, it's a continual charge from the Lord. Modern English, unfortunately, or fortunately, does not distinguish between the second person singular and the second person plural pronouns. Both are just you. But that wasn't always the case. There used to be thou, the, thy for one person, and you, ye, your for more than one. If we look at older translations, such as the King James, we see the universality of this command better than in modern English, where we don't make that distinction. Because it says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith our God. Comfort ye, as in plural. All of you comfort my people. And that is not God said, as in once in the past, but says our God, continues to say. It is a continual command to those that would speak on behalf of the Lord. It's for Isaiah as well as the elders and leaders of Israel when they returned from exile. It was for the rest of the Old Testament prophets and it's even for those today who are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, who speak and act in the stead and by the command of Jesus Christ. It is God's will that his people be comforted, that they hear of his love, his grace, of his saving will towards them. All flesh is grass, Isaiah says, and all this loveliness is like the flower of the field. Not only are we mortal, subject to death and decay since the fall, but we're often feeble and weak. We did not only do something once and have perfect muscle memory of it, nor do we repeat something once and have it memorized for our entire lives. Likewise, because of the frailty of our flesh, we did not hear something once and hold it firmly forever. We do not only hear the gospel once and know it firmly and constantly hear it, know it, and believe it. God knows our weakness, and so he calls on his ministers from age to age to comfort his people, to continually proclaim his grace, his salvation, 
For while the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. His word does not fail. His promises are not weak. He keeps faith. He remembers his promises and his people. He is faithful and desires that his people know his love and care, know his mercy and grace. His promises of salvation stand. His word is secure, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And he wills that we find comfort in him and his promises. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. The comfort that the Lord desires for his people is specified here. Speak comfort to Jerusalem. Literally, speak to Jerusalem's heart. Speak tenderly to her. Speak kindly to her. And this does not mean the city of Jerusalem, but the people. Yes, the words of comfort are for the spiritual Zion, to the church of God, of all times and all places, to all who believe, who trust in God and in his Christ, whether they came before his appearing or after. All those who believe are members of the church, the heavenly Jerusalem, our mother. For St. Paul wrote to the Galatians the difference between the earthly Jerusalem and the Jerusalem according to faith, saying, The Jerusalem which is now is in bondage, and her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. First, Jerusalem must hear that her warfare is ended. The word translated as warfare is actually much more broad in the Hebrew than the English suggests, because it's not just warfare. It's also affliction. It's also hard labor. It's service rendered to a superior or enforced military service. It's the same word that Job uses when he says, Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man? Yes, the life of all mankind, due to sin and its effects on us, are days of hard labor and warfare. For the Christian, this is even more so. Our days are filled with tribulation and trouble, as the sinful world, which does not know us because it did not know him, is set against us and works against us in many and various ways. As our Lord warned us, in the world, you will have tribulation. So too, we are encouraged in warfare throughout, sorry, we are engaged in warfare throughout our lives. St. Paul encourages St. Timothy to wage the good warfare. And to the Ephesians, he writes, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this dark age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The devil and his angels and even the remnants of our sinful flesh war against us seeking our fall. We, through this life, are in constant warfare against them, resisting temptation, mortifying the flesh and its desires, and sometimes that can be discouraging, especially if we struggle with the same thing over and over, or if it's just one thing after another after another. Or as 
for all the saints, that great hymn for all saints says, or when the fighting's fierce and the warfare long. But the Lord would have us know, especially at these times, that the warfare will end in eternal victory. The affliction will cease and give way to joy. The time of hard labor will turn into everlasting rest. Yes, as our Lord said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Isaiah continues, speak comfort to Jerusalem. Cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. We have confidence that these things will come to pass, that we will see victory in the Lord, joy and rest, because our iniquity is pardoned. Our sin is forgiven. Our debt is paid. We have this through Christ the Messiah, who was the one promised throughout the Old Testament in the Law and the Prophets. For God did not desire that we remain in sin, but that we be set free from it. He does not will that we die, but that we live. He knew and loved you before you were created, and he knew how he was to redeem you and pardon your sins before you were made. Out of his love for the world, he sent his only begotten Son into the flesh. He has fulfilled the law and resisted the devil and his temptations where we have not. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He has taken our sins upon himself that he might die to make atonement for them, for without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. As I was driving here from Newdorf this morning, there was uh, on CBC Music a orchestra playing uh, choral music from Germany, and as the narrator was translating what was being said, they mentioned blood, which is essential to the true meaning of Christmas. For with that blood of Christ comes the forgiveness of sins. Because he satisfied justice to pay the penalty of sin on our behalf, so that our debt being paid, we may be set free. Yes, by faith in him we are forgiven, pardoned, and set free just as he promised. Since by his death he has destroyed death and gained the victory over it and over sin and over the devil. Speak comfort to Jerusalem. Cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand a double for all her sins. Here the Lord desires that his people know that he is merciful and loving. The penitent heart knows that it has not received what it has deserved. By our sin, we deserve both temporal and eternal punishments. We know that what we befall here, God makes into chastisement. But even that could never cover up or make up for our sins. Yet the Lord desires that his people know that not only does he not punish us with what we deserve, but he gives us gifts that are more and greater than we deserve freely out of his grace. Christ our Lord willingly took upon himself our punishments so that by faith in him, having been forgiven, we might receive from his hand gifts beyond measure. Yes, in Christ we receive far more than we could either desire or deserve, for we find eternal life, grace upon grace, union with him, everlasting peace, and so much more. 
We receive far more than we could ever earn, and we receive it all out of his mercy and grace, goodness and love for the sake of Christ Jesus our Lord. Isaiah continues, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low, the crooked places made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here he prophesies of the ministry of John the Baptist, who went before the Lord to prepare his way. He lived in the wilderness and performed his ministry at the Jordan River, the traditional boundary between what was Israel and the Promised Land and the wilderness. He prepared the way of the Lord and made straight a highway for our God through the preaching of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Even in his last days, he pointed his disciples to Jesus, as we saw in our gospel lesson, sending them to him so that they might hear from his own mouth the signs that declare him to be the coming one, the Christ. But this text also speaks to us spiritually today, so that just as John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord by or during his first coming, so too we prepare the way of the Lord in our hearts for his second coming. That is, since our Lord is coming again, and every <clears throat> and even comes to us now in word and sacrament, we as his Israel ought to take care that nothing impedes his coming or detracts from his glory for he has already made us his people he has already forgiven us our sins brothers and sisters he has already gathered us together into one body the church he has already called us out of the wilderness of sin and death by his holy spirit and through the gospel has enlightened us with his gifts because he has done this freely of his grace and not according to anything in us we seek to prepare ourselves for his coming again at the end of the age. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. Throughout the scriptures we see pride and humility set against one another. For pride often comes with self-righteousness, self-security, <clears throat> while humility comes with faith. Because of this, God warns us throughout the scriptures against pride, calling on his people to humble themselves, lest he humble them on the last day. Pride eventually will eclipse true faith if left to fester, and it is incompatible with true love for others, because pride promotes self, puffs up, and looks down on others. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Yes, the proud cannot stand in his presence, the Psalms say, Rise up, O judge of the earth, render punishment to the proud. And in Proverbs, Solomon writes, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. In Isaiah, the Lord warns the proud and arrogant of their fate, saying, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. 
Since this is the case, let us, brothers and sisters, by God's grace and his work in us, bring low any mountains or hills of pride within ourselves, and let us humble ourselves before him, for he is exalted, for he alone has done all that is necessary for our salvation and has worked it by his mighty arm. As St. James wrote, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Yes, let us humble ourselves before him, that at the proper time, when he comes again, he may lift us up and exalt us as the valley is raised before him. So too, the crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places plain. Let us have nothing to do with crookedness and dishonesty. Let us live with simplicity and truth. For our Lord is the way and the truth and the life. He is pure and holy. Let us seek to follow him by his Spirit's guiding, that we may not put stumbling blocks before others, but rather share the good news with them and lead them to Jesus, who is the truth, who, through the work of the Holy Spirit, calls and gathers and enlightens his church through means of word and sacrament. Let all haughtiness be smoothed in submission to him who is our head, so that even though we might not see clearly now, we trust that he is working for our eternal good, that we might live with him forever. May God, through his Holy Spirit, ever conform you to the image of Christ and increase in you true humility, faith, and love. May he ever grant you comfort, the comfort of peace through the end of tribulation, the comfort of sins forgiven, and the comfort of his love through the merits and mediations of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was and is and is to come. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.